It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, folks, we've got herd mentality today. It's coming much later in the week than usual, but obviously this week was dominated by the uh, newsy stuff we had to talk about on Monday and then our top 10 most important players to the future of the Bills series that happened Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And so here we are doing herd mentality to close out the week, and we've got some great stuff to dive into. Let's get started. First one comes from Brandon. Brandon says, with the Bills not signing a free agent defensive end this year, does this signal that they are content with who they have? I think that's a really good question, and we can maybe include Shane Ray in this conversation, but let's be honest. He's 30. He's been in the CFL for the last two years. He hasn't played in the NFL in a long time. I'm intrigued, but we got to temper our enthusiasm there. They really didn't do anything at defensive end. And with Von Miller coming off of an ACL injury and him unlikely to be available for the early portion of the season, you start to ask yourself, well, are they content? Is this maybe a sign that things are going really well with Von Miller and they're expecting him to be ready to go? You know, I think it warrants those types of questions. Now, Brandon Bean did comment on not being able to come to terms with a defensive end after the draft. I think they wanted to. And because they couldn't, they had to kick the tires. And that's Brandon Bean's word. He said kicking the tires on Shane Ray. Because there's some appealing veteran edge rushers out there right now. Frank Clark, Leonard Floyd, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Carlos Dunlap, Yannick Ngakwe. Robert Quinn, there's a lot of good veteran edge rushers available. But what gets challenging there is, you know, these are all established vets that need to come to grips with reality on what their market is, right? They're all very accomplished players in the NFL. And they have to realize that they're not getting $10 million a year. And the Bills just have limited resources. He said they just couldn't get a guy signed for what they could offer. And so I think they are in a position where they kind of have to make it work with what they have. And he even referenced uh, picking up the the edge rusher off of waivers from the Colts out of South Dakota um, as another thing that they tried to do to get another body in there. But the reality here is that I think they wanted to do something. Nothing came to fruition. And the most interesting thing they can do was kick the tires on Shane Ray. And so this puts a lot on Greg Rousseau, obviously, but A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, 
Shaq Lawson. And you kind of hate having to really rely on those players because we know what that's looked like in the past. And so I think you can talk yourself into um, the Bills maybe being content with what they have and they're hopeful on Von Miller and where he's at. But I think in reality, they just couldn't pull anything off. And these veteran edge rushers need to come to grips with reality on what uh, type of money is really going to be there for them in the 2023 season. Next one here comes from Los. Los says, as far as the offense goes, how much faith do you have in Ken Dorsey when it comes to making this offense less predictable? Can he be more efficient in different ways and use some of the newly acquired skill sets effectively? We've added Dalton Kincaid, Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, a set of new running backs that have power and hopefully added some depth to the offensive line. Can we trust Dorsey to utilize these new tools and skills to prevent this offense from becoming as stale as it was in the second half of last season? Los, you got a good question here. And let me address it like this. My concerns with Ken Dorsey aren't really the predictability of his offense. That's that's not my concern. It's more the incorporation of skill sets. Can he really get all of these guys going in the most effective ways? Because I'm not sure we can look back at last year and come away feeling good about him actually doing that. And I wonder, and I've said this before, I wonder how much of the offense really not evolving uh, like we wanted it to last year came down to O.J. Howard not being what they thought he was going to be and Jamison Crowder getting injured. To which I would say, well, counting on O.J. Howard to be something that he's never been with any level of consistency in the NFL and counting on Jamison Crowder to stay healthy was probably some poor planning. But I think that derailed things a little bit. But yeah, I do have concerns about his ability to incorporate all these skill sets because we haven't seen it yet. And there is a lot of versatility with what he has at his disposal. And so, yeah, it's not predictability. It's incorporation of skill sets. It's game planning. It's managing Josh Allen, right? Ken Dorsey, an aggressive guy, right? Josh Allen, an aggressive guy. And we saw some of those bad aggressive tendencies in Josh Allen creep up last year again. Well, Brian Dable's not here anymore to kind of settle him down, right? I mean, Dable was with Josh Allen from the second he walked into the NFL. He knows how to talk to that guy. Ken Dorsey was his quarterback's coach. It's a different relationship. And so I think Ken Dorsey has to find himself in a better spot to manage Josh Allen. And then, of course, red zone. He's got to be better there. And so it's not predictability. It's a lot of other things. And, yeah, there is that there is that layer to the projection of this offense that is Ken Dorsey that gives me a level of concern. Yeah, I'll absolutely admit that. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. But I am concerned. Next one here comes from Aiden, who is part of our subtext community. I told you guys about that yesterday on the podcast. I'll tell you about it again here in just a moment. Uh, But Aiden says, how do you think Deontay Hardy will factor into the offense this year? It seems that since he was signed in March, we've added in the slot in the form of Dalton Kincaid, who looks to be sort of a big slot, and Khalil Shakir looking like he's ready to take a big step in the slot or otherwise as well. 
So it seems to me that Hardy won't be as big of a factor as fans are thinking and or hoping. I don't know. Could just be me. So curious to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks for answering the question. Thanks for sending it in, Aiden. Um, yeah, this is this is kind of a fun layer. It's a good problem to have, right? Because we're hopeful for Khalil Shakir to have a bigger role. We obviously want Dalton Kincaid to have a bigger role. And then you're kind of like asking yourself, well, what about Deontay Hardy? Well, here's how I think Deontay Hardy factors in. First of all, anything that you saw Isaiah McKenzie do, whether it was the deep over routes, whether it was uh, horizontal stretching with jet motion and that type of stuff, I think a lot of that now, or not a lot of it, all of that goes now to Deontay Hardy. He's also a player that gives competition to Naheem Hines as the kick and punt returner, um, but also a player that Brandon Bean has come out and said is an inside and outside player for us. And so while I don't know that he'll be the primary slot player, and he shouldn't be because I do think that Shakir and, and Kincaid should be your primary slot players, him playing on the outside is absolutely part of the equation. And if he's healthy, his speed is unmatched by any other player that the Bills have at receiver. And so that vertical component, that ability to stretch the field and lift coverage, you know, can open up a lot too. So there's a lot that Ken Dorsey can still do with Deontay Hardy, even if he's not going to be a high volume piece of this offense, right? I don't look at Deontay Hardy right now and say, okay, 70, 80 targets are coming his way, maybe 50. And um, of course, a lot of his value may come in improving the offensive spacing, whether that's horizontal, vertical, and of course, providing the Bills with more depth in the return game. All right, folks, we got a bunch more to get to, but first I need to tell you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bars on the planet. These things are awesome. They come in so many great flavors. They're 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 so good, right? They have uh they have churro, they have cookie dough, peanut butter, brownie, uh brownie batter, coconut almond, so many great flavors. And it's like you're eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. They're low in calorie, they're low in sugar, they're high in protein. And of course, covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. So check them out. Head on over to built.com. Use our promo code LOCKDOWN15. It'll get you 15% off your next order. Or you can head on over to your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Pick up a box off the shelf. Try them out. Folks, they're awesome. I got a feeling if you do, you'll be thanking me later. The next one here comes from Steve, also a member of our subtext community. Steve says Dalton Kincaid, as we know, played high school football only as a senior, but basketball throughout his route running flexibility, good hands and other traits resemble skills on the basketball court where there is far less real estate in which to work. Obviously, Kincaid is very talented and might be expected to excel on the court and the football field. I'm wondering, though, if his early concentration on basketball with no early football coaching helped mold him into the super slot we hope he becomes and might four years of high school football have altered the result perhaps for the worse. It's a good question here, Steve. Uh, first of all, why didn't Dalton Kincaid play high school football? The answer that I've been given is because his mom didn't want him to play tackle football. And so that's why he got a late start in playing football, but his story, his background absolutely is critical to him developing into the player he became right at Utah. And then of course, what we expect him to be for the Buffalo bills. And while it was a winding path, it's pretty clear that it positioned him perfectly for his opportunity in the NFL, a guy that didn't play football till 
his high school, his senior year in high school, and then goes to San Diego. Could I mean, imagine telling him that he's going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft. I mean, pretty crazy, but I, I think you could, you could be concerned about the answer to the question. What happens if he does play four years of high school football? Does he even play tight end? Do they want him to play quarterback? Does he rush the passer linebacker? You never know. Right. And so, Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I think his path was the right path for him to get where he is right now. Next one here comes from Amy, who says, "Last week you talked about how much the Bills run run the football out of shot out of shotgun. Can you explain why this is, and what are the advantages and disadvantages of running the football out of shotgun?" Yeah, so the advantage here is that well, the Bills throw the football a lot out of shotgun, and so you need to run the football out of shotgun so that you're not predictable by formation, right? There has to be the threat of the run and the pass by formation. Also, college teams run the football almost exclusively, it feels like, out of shotgun, and so the running backs that are coming into the NFL, that's what they're accustomed to doing. That's that's what's normal for them. Um, so you do it out of necessity for less predictability. It's also just where the game is trending and, um, a lot of wide zone rushing offenses really rely on that, uh, that type of structure. Now, the disadvantages to running the football out of shotgun is, is your running back is receiving a handoff from a, a static stationary position, as opposed to working towards the line of scrimmage. So if you're in shotgun, you're a running back, you're Next to the quarterback, the quarterback receives the snap and hands you the football. You're standing still. Then you take the ball and go. If the quarterback's under center, now they are taking the handoff and they are, they are, there's footwork necessary. They have to drop back into you. So they're coming towards you as the running back and you're coming towards them. And so you're, you're receiving the handoff with momentum towards the line of scrimmage. You're pressing the line of scrimmage. And I think that helps running backs obviously get a little bit of momentum going, but also they can kind of press the line of scrimmage with more nuance to open up some tracks and potentially manipulate the second level and, and widen some some lanes. Also, um, when you run the football out of shotgun, your offensive line is typically in a two-point stance as opposed to a three-point stance. And so when you're in that two-point stance, it's harder for your blockers to roll their hips into blocks and really create movement. So when you run the ball out of shotgun, it becomes more reliant for your offensive linemen uh, to utilize body positioning and and good angles to create the space necessary to run the football effectively. So hopefully that gave you uh, some good insight into the advantages and disadvantages of running the football out of shotgun. Uh, next one here comes from Brian. And before we get to Brian's question, uh, Want to wish Desmond and Calvin, those are Brian's sons, uh, good luck this weekend. They have their flag football playoffs. So go out there and ball out, you know, channel your inner Stefan Diggs and uh, make some plays out there and, and hope that you guys have a lot of fun and have a lot of success. So good luck to Desmond and Calvin this weekend in the flag football playoffs that they are participating in. Brian's question is Stefan Diggs was drafted 146 overall in 2015, but now he is widely considered a top five receiver in the NFL. For perspective, Justin Shorter was drafted 150 overall this past year, but it sounds like the Bills took a flyer on a physical specimen who underproduced in college. 
What do you think scouts missed on Diggs back in 2015? What do you think is the thing scouts would have missed in shorter for him to end up as a Diggs level steal for the Bills? Fun question here. Um, first of all, let's talk about Stefan Diggs 2015 coming out of Maryland. And uh, this is pretty cool. I actually went into my Google Drive and I found my notes, my 2015 notes on the wide receiver class. And um, I had Stefan Diggs graded in the fourth round. And I wrote a blurb uh, back in 2015. I guess that's what I was doing. I was writing blurbs on players. And so this is what I said about Stefan Diggs. I said, good hands and fluid athlete, has some ability after the catch. The full realm of his skill set remains unclear due to poor quarterback play and injuries. He has a natural ability to pluck the ball. Ball skills, separation ability, and body control are top-notch. Did not get a chance to do much down the field in college. And so I know that's a very like condensed scouting report, but that's representative of the way that I perceived him. And, and Diggs, he didn't have a ton of production at Maryland. He didn't test well. I mean, his RAS score is only in the fives. So you have a, a player that didn't produce much at Maryland, that didn't test well, that had injuries. But, I mean, there was certainly some apparent skill that that intrigued you, but, like, there wasn't enough there for you to really go in on drafting him higher. Now, of course, the NFL, every team was wrong four times over, right, or five times over passing on digs. Um, but I think my notes there could be representative of maybe some of the ways that the league saw him and, and why he fell. Um, as for Justin Shorter, you know, I think Justin Shorter has a long ways to go in terms of route running. Um, he's a very linear athlete, obviously a physical specimen, height, weight, speed, vertical uh, ability in terms of straight line speed, um, can block, he's physical, can play special teams, but the route running is just not not there yet with Shorter. A guy that takes extra steps at the top of his routes, a guy that I don't know is going to be an asset running a full route tree, right, on the horizontal plane. Some of the stuff that I talk about with Gabe Davis, I would apply to Justin Shorter, who's got some tightness when trying to work in and out of breaks. And so, you know, that's I think that's a, a big reason why, as this former all-everything high school recruit, Justin Shorter underachieved in college and wound up having to transfer, right, and was modestly productive at Florida. So, look, maybe, maybe this all comes together for, for Justin Shorter, but I think right now, you know, as a big believer in expectations minus reality equals disappointment, and I've seen some real crazy hype out there about Justin Shorter, some, some really crazy stuff. I think the reality is, remind yourself, he's a fifth-round pick, he has upside, and that he's ideally kind of coming in right now to provide size to the wide receiver room, fourth down ability in terms of special teams, blocking, and maybe some occasional vertical work. And then anything more that you get from that, it's a bonus. And I think it's a dangerous game living in this world where we get excited about fifth-round wide receivers becoming top five players at their position in the NFL. That's a pretty rare thing to happen. And I remember taking similar questions um, – about Marquez Stevenson, who was a fifth round pick and, and even Diggs was kind of brought into the equation there. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I want to have optimism, but I want to temper our enthusiasm here a little bit because some of the hype out there is out of control and, and nothing happened. He didn't play anything for the bills. He just, everybody saw his frame and, and realized that this guy's a, a physical specimen. Well, 
there's a lot of those that aren't necessarily polished football players. I think there's a role for Justin Shorter, uh, but I don't want us to get too out of control with the hype there. Uh, next one here comes from Matt, and uh, I put this one after that question uh, for a reason. You'll find out in a second here. Matt says, I feel like the Shane Ray signing is low risk, high reward. Uh, he was drafted in the first round in 2015, so at that time he must have had a good physical profile. On the next herd mentality, can you give us your draft profile on him? Well, we talked a lot about Shane Ray on Monday, so if you want some more thoughts on Shane Ray, go back to that. But I did, of course, in finding my 2015 blurb on Stefan Diggs, I found my 2015 blurb on Shane Ray, who I graded in the second round. And this is what I, I wrote about uh, Shane Ray back in 2015. I said, tremendous speed and burst off the edge. His first step and get off are outstanding, and he flashes solid hand technique in some cases. He has natural leverage and bend. He plays with a ton of energy, and his motor always runs hot. Ray has minimal ability to win with power and is an ineffective gap shooter. There is There are too many situational tendencies for me to consider him a first-round talent. So, um, I mean, he went 23, right? Uh, there was some belief that he could be a top-10 pick. The marijuana thing kind of pushed him down a little bit. But, uh, you know, he was on a great path, won the Super Bowl as a, you know, a rotational guy as a rookie, eight sacks in year two, and then a bazillion wrist injuries, and the guy's entire career got derailed. I'm hopeful. I got a little, I said it, I got a little ounce of excitement about this one. Um, and so we'll, we'll see how it all comes together. All right, folks, we got a bunch more to get, uh, get to here in just a moment. Just need to take a quick break. I'll be right back. All right, folks. Um, like I mentioned, we have launched the subtext community for locked on bills. And so I would like to invite, invite you to join the locked on bill subtext community. It's something new. Like I mentioned that we're offering, uh, there's going to be a link to join in the show notes for today. So go to the notes, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or whatever podcasting medium, and there'll be a link that you can uh, you can click on to join. And here's what you get if you join. So you get one-on-one -on -one text conversations with me, and that's been really cool. A bunch of you guys signed up yesterday, and I've been texting with you all day long. Super cool. Love it. Love engaging with you. If you sign up, don't be afraid to engage and ask questions. That's why it exists, and uh, it's really fun for me as well. Uh, you get herd mentality priority. So if you, in one of the text messages to me, say, hey, this is for herd mentality and you're a subtext subscriber, we're going to make sure we get it in on the show. That happened today for uh, Aiden and Steven. Uh, I'm going to have some exclusive content uh, for the subtext community. I'm going to give you some regular Bill's musings texts. You know, if I have random thoughts about the team, I'll, I'll send out uh, a broadcast to all the subscribers. And I'll give you my first reaction to all the major Bills news. So if they make a move or something is significant, I'll give you my first reaction through the subtext. And we're going to have some giveaways. And speaking of giveaways, we're doing one right now. So everyone that has joined or joins the subtext community uh, before May 25th, um, so uh, before May 25th, join. And you're going to be entered into a drawing. And two people are going to win a free personalized uh, signed copy of my book. Go Bills. So I'll give away a couple of those, send them right to your house. I'll personalize it and all of that. So two people will win that, sign up between now and May 25th. Maybe we'll go live on the 25th that night. We'll do some interactive stuff, Q&A, whatever, have some fun live on the YouTube channel and uh, do the drawing. So uh, go ahead and sign up. Would love for you to do it. Love engaging with uh, all the people that have so far and 
and looking forward to continuing to build that subtext community. Again, the link to join is in the show notes for today. All right, let's keep it going here. Justin says, can you please explain to me? I might not be able to, but can you please explain to me why everyone and their mother is insisting that we need another need another cornerback? Trey White, Kyrie Elam, Dane Jackson, Taron Johnson, and Christian Benford aren't enough? I feel like the D-line and linebackers are still missing pieces on the defense rather than the secondary. We love the insight. Justin, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I don't get this either. This was in the don't need bucket for me. Remember, like when I was doing all the draft preview stuff, we did one cornerback. It was Deontay Banks, and that's because the Bills had him in for a visit. That's the only reason. But I didn't think the Bills, you know, were a team that I looked at and said, wow, they need to get a corner here. And I still don't feel that way. I don't think they need to sign anything there either. You know, I I they're loaded at corner. So here's what I'll say. If you see national people saying that, the Bills need to get a corner. Uh, that would give you a good understanding of which ones to pay attention to and which ones to mute. Next one here comes from Mayhall. Uh, Mayhall says, you've talked about the Chiefs and Bengals as the two uh, main non-division rivals for the Bills. Do you see the Jaguars or Chargers getting there soon as well? I think they're knocking on the door. I think it's the Bills, Chiefs, and Bengals are still very much the class of the AFC for me. I think Jaguars are an upstart team. Obviously, they struggled last year, and then they went on a run. And they're in a soft AFC South division. So I think they're going to win that thing you know, pretty regularly here because there's just not a lot of competition there. I like the makeup of their team. Trevor Lawrence looks really, really good. Um, but I, I think that they're still very much a tier below the Bills and Chiefs and Bengals. And same thing with the Chargers. You know, I, I think the world of Justin Herbert, um, they got a lot of talent that I really, really like, but you know, they haven't even won a playoff game yet. And so I still think that they're in that that bucket as well. They're kind of in that I would put the Jaguars, Chargers, Dolphins, Ravens, right? Kind of in a in a bucket here of that next tier of the AFC. But um, what's fun is that in the coming weeks here, I'm going to spend a little bit more time comparing the Bills to some of their biggest competition in the AFC, and we'll we'll get a lot more in depth with you know the division rivals and, and as well as the other contenders in the conference. Justin says, "What are your honest thoughts on our franchise, coaching staff, front office, and roster?" I see a lot of criticism about the Bills needing to win a Super Bowl. Nowadays, it's even worse due to social media, but it's McDermott's fourth year with a competitive roster. I saw a stat of highly regarded coaches and amount of years coaching before winning a Super Bowl, somewhere in the high teens before winning one. Now, is it frustrating losing in the playoffs for sure, but I'm really happy with this operation of this team, and I guess I'm not really concerned about a Super Bowl win as many because I believe we will get at least one with Josh Allen. Appreciate the question here, Justin. And, and in a way, this podcast that I produce every single day is one big portfolio of my thoughts on the team. But if you wanted me to just kind of get like just very specific, I have never had more fun being a fan of the Buffalo Bills. I mean, we are in a great era. This team has won double-digit games in each of the last four seasons. They've been to the playoffs four years in a row. They've won a playoff game three years in a row. There's only one other team in the league that can say that. It's the Chiefs. That's it. 
What teams have been to the playoffs each of the last three years and won a playoff game? Bills, Chiefs, end of list. The Bills are one of the elite teams in the NFL. Like, this is a good operation. 13 and 3 last year, 11 and 6, 13 and 3 the year before that, 10 and 6 the year before that, three consecutive AFC East division titles. This is the stuff we've always wanted. We've got everything we've always wanted except for a Super Bowl trophy. And because that's the only thing left, we got the face, one of the faces of the league in Josh Allen. We've dreamed about a quarterback like this. Star power and Von Miller and Steph Diggs a really lovable team that is generally loved by non-AFC East Chiefs and Bengals fans. Like, we got everything we want. And so the last thing that we want is a Super Bowl. And, man, I, I, I get it. There is so much urgency. Everybody wants it so bad. But, like, can we just take a moment and just reflect on what this team is and what it's been and what I think it's going to continue to be? There's no reason to think that this window is closing anytime soon. Brandon Bean has legitimately put together a better roster year over year for like three, four years in a row. I remember coming out of 2020, the widespread thought was, ah, that's the best team they'll ever have around Josh Allen. That's as good as it'll ever be. And then they got better. And then it got better again. This window is open and it's going to stay open. So yeah, I want the Super Bowl as much as anyone, but that's literally the only thing we don't have. And we want it bad. But I, I I hope that our burning desire for the Super Bowl doesn't distract us from what's really, really good. And that's why I don't believe it's Super Bowl or bust any year. I don't believe in that. I think you got to be as good as you can for as long as you can. And you have to get a little bit lucky. And that's the piece we're all uncomfortable acknowledging. There's some luck involved. Look at any team that's ever won the Super Bowl, and there was some luck involved. And the Bills just haven't been on the right side of that to this point. I think I think that the Bills have what they need to win the Super Bowl. I think the Bills have had what they need to win the Super Bowl. Now they just got to do it. And unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes is alive right now and in his prime, and that's a problem, right? But I don't think Josh Allen's like Phillip Rivers or, or or Matt Ryan in terms of like, hey, really good starting quarterback, you know, even at times MVP level, Pro Bowls, face of the franchise, but never won the big one. I I just don't I just don't think Josh Allen's gonna be denied for his whole career. I just don't. And so hopefully that's an honest uh reflection on my thoughts on this team right now. Uh, last one here comes from Scruggs. Scruggs says, with the moves to bring in Kincaid and heavier running backs, does it make Reggie Gilliam a potential cut candidate? I've seen this a little bit out there. I don't think Reggie Gilliam's going to get cut. Um, while they do have Kincaid, they do have some heavier running backs. None of them are fullbacks like Reggie Gilliam. And Reggie Gilliam, you know, for like the tight end label that he had a few years ago, he's not. He's a fullback. And the Bills ran... 21 personnel, like a pretty high clip last year. That's two two running backs or two backs. Um, and so I think they're going to continue to use him like that. He's a four-phase special teamer. They just extended him. I think that Reggie Gilliam's uh, spot on this roster is pretty safe. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Join the subtext community. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, share, subscribe to the podcast. 
have some great content lined up for you next week. So don't miss anything. Go Bills. Have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.